0: in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Galatians, chapter 3. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney.
1: So he was arguing from a personal standpoint in chapters 1 and 2. Are y'all with me? But in chapter 3, Paul starts to argue from scriptural grounds that we are saved by faith. Listen, saints, give me your attention. Whatever we do as believers, whatever we do as a church, we ought to be able to point people back to the scriptures and say, we do this in our church because of that. That we do this in our church because the scripture says this is what we're to do. Do you know how many churches do what they do because that's the way they've always done what they're doing? Well, why are you guys doing this? I don't know. That's the way we always did it. That's not like Yogi Bear, didn't it? Maybe <laughs> hey, woo. Why you guys do that? Well, I don't know. That's just the way we've always done it. We've always done it that way. Listen, we as believers and every church needs to be able to say, the reason we are doing what we're doing is because the scripture says we ought to do it that way. We ought to be able to point people to the Bible and say, here it is. This is the way they do it. The book of Acts is the blueprint of the church. And so we do things this way because this is what the scripture says. Don't you remember in Acts chapter 2? The Holy Spirit came upon the church. Don't you remember that? The people were all gathered together in Jerusalem. People from every nation all around gathered together in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And the people of Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit fell. Are you listening? The Holy Spirit fell. And every, they began to speak in tongues, the 120. And all believers began to speak in tongues as the Spirit of God fell on the church. And someone said, oh, man, these men are full of new wine. These men are drunk. They didn't understand. And Peter stood up and he said, these men are not drunk, for it is but the ninth hour. You want to notice, Peter said these men are not drunk, but it is not, but because it's only the ninth hour, which means it's in the morning. Peter said, we're not drunk because it's too early. (laughs) I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Peter didn't say, you know, Peter didn't say, we're not drunk because we don't drink. Peter said, we're not drunk, it's too early. Give us about an hour. (laughs) Then Peter went on to say, but this, listen, he went on to say, these men are not drunk because it is but the ninth hour. He said, but this is that which was prophesied by Joel in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. He went on to say, he said this, don't miss it. He said, this is that. Those two words are very important. He said, this is that. What you see here is that which was already spoken of by the prophet Joel. This is that. Whatever we do as believers, whatever we do as a church, we need to be able to say, this is that. Are you with me, my people? Amen. This is that. We have a biblical foundation for why we do what we do. As Peter pointed to the scriptures to validate their, their experience, so we should as well. So here in verse 10, Paul begins to quote Deuteronomy 27, Bible students, verse 26 To point out that the law doesn't bring a blessing, it brings a curse, unless you are perfect. Now, with a show of hands, is there anyone here that would say, I am perfect? Anyone? No. And that's a good thing, because as soon as you say, I am perfect, then we know you're not because you just lied. (laughs) It's not that hard, my people. Just think it through. Nobody would say they are perfect. No one would say that. You see, we're all imperfect. But unless you are perfect and never break the law, and if you ever break the law, then you are guilty and you are cursed. See, you got to understand the law was not a spiritual smorgasbord or a Bible buffet where you could just pick and choose which laws you wanted to follow. To live by the law, do you understand? To live by the law, you had to keep the whole enchilada. You had to keep all the law. I mean, think about it. You could have a driving record of 25 years and have never broke the law. You could be a driver that you drive all the time and you always change. When you change lanes, you always put your turn signal on when you change lanes on the 40. I hate it when people don't put their turn signal on when they change lanes on the 40. It drives me crazy. You don't put your turn signal on. You know what? It makes me want to follow you and hunt you down and kill you. I'm sorry, I'm I'm back. I just I, don't you hate that. I just what The turn signal on, man. And so you're a perfect driver. You never had a ticket. Nothing's ever happened. But the one time that you break the law, maybe you go a little bit over the speed limit. You look in your rearview mirror, and uh-oh, there goes the blue lights, and he pulls you over. And he gives you a ticket and you try to argue with him and you say, you know what? I have never broken a law, sir. Why are you giving me a ticket? This is my first time ever. I've never broken a law. He doesn't care about that. The reality is you have just broken the law and now you are guilty. So Paul's point here is anyone who tries to live according to the law as their basis for being right with God is cursed. That word means doomed to hell. You see, this is what's at stake if you want to put yourself back under the law. If you want to put yourself back under the law and you want to try to keep the law, which is impossible, but if you want to do that, if you ever break one point in the law, you've broken the whole law. That's what James said in James chapter 2, Bible students, verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking all the law. You had to keep All the law in a rigid, strict, complete compliance. And then Paul quotes Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 11. The just shall live by faith. This verse is quoted in two other places in the New Testament. As Paul's point is to show that God always justified men and women through faith and belief. And then in verse 12, go ahead and peek at it. The law is not of faith. In other words, the law said, do this and live. The law doesn't ask people to believe. Are you hearing me? The law doesn't ask you to believe or to try hard to keep the commandments. The law demands perfection. You know, someone once wrote this and they said, do this and live the law commands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. A better word the gospel brings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. Isn't that good? That's just good. You see, the penalty of breaking the commandments of God was death. So Paul's making the point that Jesus suffered the ultimate humiliation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, you know it. God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That means that God treated Jesus like we deserve to be treated so we can be treated like Jesus deserved to be treated. Jesus bore our sins Our curse on the cross so we could be made righteous. This is what we call substitution. Here's a theological terminology. Substitution and imputation. Substitution means that Jesus died in your place. Substitution. And imputation means, it's actually an accounting word, and it means that God put righteousness on your account, or he imputed righteousness to your account. Substitution and imputation. Isaiah 53, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. So Paul says "The just shall live by faith. So if you're under the law, hey, listen, you are not justified. And everyone who believes will receive the blessings of salvation promised to Abraham. We found that in verse 14. So then give me your attention to the Judaizer. Listening to this, Paul anticipates two questions that they would ask. Number one, since the law came after Abraham, then wouldn't the law be considered greater than the promise given to Abraham? And the second question that Paul anticipates the Judaizers would ask that if that's not the case, then what is the purpose of the law? So the remainder of the chapter, beginning in verse 15, Paul takes Abraham and Moses and Jesus and says, listen, there is no problem. There's no conflict. They all agree. What do you mean, Rodney? Look at verse 15. If you're looking at it, say amen. amen. Brethren, I speak in the matter of men, though it is only a man's covenant, Yet, if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Now, to Abraham and his... What does that say, saints? Seed. Is that singular? Yes. To Abraham's seed. To Abraham's seed were the promises made. He does not say to seeds, plural, as of many... But as of one and to your seed, who's the seed? Christ. Very simple. And this I say that the law, which was 430 years, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer a promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. Saints, stop right there. Give me your attention. Remember last week we talked about that Abraham, when God told Abraham and gave him the promise that he was going to be blessed, gave him a promise of salvation, when God called Abraham, Abraham was an idol-worshiping Gentile. Remember, I pointed out that many Bible scholars believe that Abraham and his family owned an idol store like Idols Are Us, where they made idols for people. So when God called Abraham, this is very important for you to understand. When God called Abraham, Abraham was not deserving. He was not righteous. As a matter of fact, he was an idol worshiping Gentile. In a few centuries, Moses comes along as a deliverer to deliver Israel from the bondage of Egypt, and he brought them to Mount Sinai, and God gave them the law. Now here we have two different men and two different covenants or contracts. Now understand something. Are you listening? God was dealing with Abraham with a covenant based on promise. God was dealing with Moses with a covenant based on the law. When God first spoke to Moses and God said, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and I will bless those that bless you and I will curse those that curse you. The emphasis is on God and the promise is unconditional. And when he believed God imputed, accounted righteousness favor, blessings, and salvation to Abraham. It was a covenant of promise that was unconditional. If you understand so far, please say amen. Amen. Now, on the other hand, when God spoke to Moses, God said, Moses, here is the law, and thou shalt, and thou shalt not, and thou shalt, and thou shalt not. And if you do, this will happen. And if you don't, this will happen. You see, that covenant was not based on promise. Are you with me? That contract was not based on promise. It was based on the law. Paul's point in this is to say the law cannot take away or annul the promise made to Abraham. Paul is saying, listen, if a man signs a contract or makes a covenant, you can't just decide to cancel it. Even humanly speaking, Paul says, listen, if in the human sense you have a contract that cannot be broken, how much more is God not going to change when he makes a promise? God has made a promise. Abraham, I'm going to bless you. God has made a promise to you. He's going to bless you. He's going to touch you. He's going to care for you. He's always going to be with you. Can somebody say amen? He's always there. God's made so many promises. I can't go into that right now. But God's not going to change his mind. God isn't going to say, well, I've changed my mind. I'm not going to keep the promise that I made to Abraham and to his descendants forever. And then notice Paul says to Abraham and his seed singular the promise was made. He does not say seeds as many, but as one, the seed is Christ. In other words, when God made the promise to Abraham, he wasn't just talking about the descendants, the Jewish people. It was talking about the greatest descendant, Jesus, and the world would be blessed through the seed that would be Christ. Can you say amen? Now notice in verse 19, What purpose then does the law serve? Again, Paul anticipating some questions. What purpose then does the law serve? Well, it was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now, a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. Perish the thought. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scriptures have confirmed all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our, what saints, tutor. To bring us to Christ, tutor, schoolmaster, teacher, pedagogos is a Greek word, to bring us to Christ. Here's why. That we might be justified by, can you help me, faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. So the Judaizers would say, listen, if you can take Christ and fuse him with the promise, then why the law? What is the purpose of the law? And Paul said the law was added. That means to place alongside of. The law was placed alongside of the promise of Abraham till the seed Christ should come. In other words, the law wasn't given to show man that they are holy. The law was given to show men that they are unholy. The law was given to show men that they are unrighteous. When you wake up in the morning and you go into the bathroom, and you look in the mirror and you see your face is all messed up from sleeping all night. Your hair is all over your head. Well, y'all, I, I don't have that problem. And you're looking in the mirror and you're going, I'm messed up. I need to get cleaned up. I need to brush my teeth. You don't take the mirror off the wall and start scrubbing your face with the mirror. The mirror simply reflects the fact that you have a problem. <laughs> you got an issue, a real one. It needs to be corrected immediately. The mirror is just a reflection of the fact that you have a problem. You don't use the mirror to clean up the mess. Like a thermometer just lets you know you have a fever. It doesn't take away your fever. Just like a flashlight can identify a problem, but it can't fix the problem. The law wasn't meant to give us salvation. It was meant to convict us and show us that we need salvation. The law wasn't given to make us holy, but to show us that we are unholy. And the law in verse 19, notice again, came to Moses third hand. Did you know God gave it to the angels? The angels gave it to Moses. And Moses gave it to the children of Israel. But when God gave a covenant of promise to Abraham, God spoke directly to Abraham. So we have a law that came third hand and a promise that came first hand. Look at verse 26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither now Jew nor Greek there is neither slave nor free there is neither male or female for you are all can you read that together with me you are all one in Christ Jesus and if you are Christ if you are Christ fact then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise That's what he's saying. You see, Paul's point, listen, it's as simple as this saying as we kind of come in for a landing here. Paul's point is God makes no distinction between race, rank, or gender. And the Jews did. That's exactly what they did because Jews and Gentiles couldn't even worship together. If you've been around here at Calvary Chapel, you know this. If you were a Gentile, you had to enter the temple through the court of the Gentiles. If you were a woman... You had to enter the temple through the court of the women. But in Christ, please get me. Listen. In Christ, there are no distinctions. If you trust in Jesus alone for your salvation, you belong to him and you have access to God. The Jews were into distinction. Matter of fact, the women entering the court of the women, when they got to a certain place as they entered into the temple into the court, there was a sign posted that said, if you, you know, it was a sign threatening to women. That if you're coming a different way or if you're a woman coming in a different way, you'd be guilty of death. They made distinction. The Jews were into distinction. Every morning. A Jew would get up and pray, get this, thank you, God, that I am a Jew and not a Gentile. Thank you, God, that I am a male and not a female. And thank you, God, that I am free and not a slave. Every morning they would pray that prayer. Their legalism drew so many lines of distinction But in Christ, did you know, there is no longer Jew nor Gentile. We are all one in Christ. We are one in Christ. In Christ, I'll wait. In Christ, there isn't slave or free because we are all slaves of Christ. In Christ, there's neither male nor female in the sense, listen, There's neither male nor female in the sense that no one has benefit over the other spiritually. Let me say that again. Because there's some people who use this verse and say, well, women are equal to men. Women are the same as men. Because the, the Bible says there's neither male nor female. I've heard people say that. That there's no distinction that women and men are the same. Listen, hello, McFly, women and men are not the same. Thank
0: goodness.
1: (laughs) Hello? Look, look, when your child comes in the world, women are, everybody knows this. What is wrong with people? (laughs) Women and men are not the same. You don't name your daughter Frank. You don't name your son Julie. Why? Because men and women are different. And the differences are good. I thank God that Elvira is not like me. And I thank God that I'm not like her. She's a woman and I'm a man. And this is a good, whole, healthy thing. It's okay. You know, people like, oh, women and men are the same. They're the equal. It's like, listen, don't use the Bible to justify that. First of all, it's wrong. Secondly, it's not biblical. God made man and God made woman. Period. And what this is talking about is that one doesn't have benefit over the other concerning the faith. Male and female, black and white, rich and poor, whether you live in Israel, India, Indonesia, America, Africa, I don't care where you live, everyone must come to Christ the same way. We all say the same way. We all must come to faith the same way. We come through Jesus Christ. The only way to be saved is by faith. Salvation is by faith, we know. Can y'all help me? For the Bible tells me so.
0: You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina.